head. Oh, where are we? Is this... Uh, I don't know. Check your pockets. Do you, are there any clues in there? Oh. Uh, I have the cell phone. Wait, it's ringing. Let me, let me answer it. Uh, hello? Hello, John. Who is this? I've left you with a, le a list of items that you need to acquire. Wait, what, what am you I You need to get all of the items on the list, or Eric's family dies. It's life or death. The decision is yours. Oh, no. Okay. Eric. Um, what, do you, what do you say? Well, apparently we have to do some kind of, like, life-threatening challenge where we have to acquire the items on this list. Wait, wait, wait a second. Are, are we just in a Walmart? Yes, this is the lawn and garden section of a Walmart. What's going on? What's on the list? Um, baby wipes, uh, fruit roll-ups, uh, those chocolate muffins that Eric likes. Eric, is this a shopping list for your family? No, it's impossible. Is your wife Jigsaw? I don't know what you're talking about. No, there's no way. You're aware of ClickList, right? No. So you can actually order stuff online and pick it up so you don't have to abduct your friends to create some kind of challenge where they do your shopping for you. You've solved the puzzle! As fans of horror, our goal is to weigh the merits of films based on three categories, production, monster's quality, and scare factor, to decide whether to admit them into our sacred horror canon. In this podcast, we'll put horror movies to the test to determine what to watch next, what's worth revisiting, and what to recommend to the uninitiated. Number two pencils ready, and begin. All right, well, welcome back. Um, so, uh, Eric, you have some uh, stories to tell us. Yes. Horror Hound uh, was a really good time this year. It was the first time that uh, it was in the convention center uh, here in Indianapolis, and I felt like that was a much better venue. I feel like every year that, that we've gone, they're, they keep increasing the size of the venue, yeah. and I feel like this one is finally the best fit. Um, okay. So the convention area housed uh, Mask Fest, uh, then also the vendor area, and there was a separate section uh, for a new exhibit that's like Factor Fiction. So that's where it was all Bigfoot. Uh, I mean, it was mostly Bigfoot. There were maybe some, like, alien things there, but it was mostly, they had, like, the guy from a History Channel, okay. the Ancient Aliens guy, um, which I think he comes, like, every year. But oh, okay. um, <clears throat> but they have, like, a special exhibit. I, I want to say that my brother was um, single-handedly responsible for the Bigfoot <laughs> edition after talking about it to every vendor every time. But it, that was the first thing we did, and my brother met Bob Gimlin, and that was really cool. He, he is a very, like, just down-home cowboy. Yeah. He was even auctioning off his cowboy stuff, like a signed <laughs> hat and stuff. And so they chatted about Bigfoot for a little bit, and uh, then we talked to some other more local people who had booths there mm -hmm. that 
to be honest, and I'm a skeptic when it comes to Bigfoot mm-hmm. stuff, but talking to these guys maybe even made me a little bit more skeptical. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's like, hey, here's this blurry picture. And some of them he, he said, I don't even know what that is, but it looks like a face, doesn't it? I'm like, okay. <laughs> uh, so I've always fun. The vendors are always great. Uh, I feel like one of the themes this year must have been pillows because there were a lot of stuffed yeah. goods okay. <laughs> and pillow makers uh, that were there. Uh, the artists were great. Um, I think uh, so the next part that is always my favorite part were the panels. And so mm-hmm. both panels were what inspired the movies that we watched this time. Um, the saw panel uh, was decent. Uh, Tobin Bell was there who uh, is the actor who plays Jigsaw. Well, and do you want to like dish out some details as we talk about the movie? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think the panel as a whole, though, mm-hmm. I think was maybe a little bit disappointing in that conversation is that a lot of the audience members for the Q&A couldn't separate the actor from the character. Mm-hmm. So they were asking him questions about, uh, like, what were you thinking when you designed this trap? And, they, and he had to, at one point, just say, I, I wasn't even there because my scenes aren't shot with that so i I don't know i can tell you what would i bring to the character Mm -hmm. and and stuff like that and talk in those terms but he must be used to that though because he he would say that about he said yeah the number one question they ask at that panel is what's your favorite trap yeah um and which is a weird question to ask right like so like what's your favorite type of torture Mm -hmm. um but, yeah, but that's also kind of what he's known for. Like, sure. The character is known for. Sure. You know, but it is kind of weird in that it's not a traditional kind of slasher where, yeah, he's the one doing the killing. It's you know, these elaborate traps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It made me want to see, because now, you know, with our new Friday franchise, Friday the 13th, I, I, I want to see the most recent one, I think, for sure. I, I mean, I don't know. I know we'll watch the in-betweens, but the Jigsaw movie. Oh. Uh, hearing stuff from him made me want to yeah. definitely see that one. You hear that they're making a new one and that Chris Rock is writing or they, directing it or something? Yeah, and they brought that up, and he really couldn't say anything about it. He was really uh, really vague about it. He He said stuff like he would like to work on it, but he couldn't say whether or not they approached him directly or anything. I bet it's a, like a hard reboot or something. Where he may not even come. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So let, let's, I guess, start talking about Saw then. And then okay. we can move on to Scream. So, uh, yeah. So Saw uh, was released in 2004, directed by James Wan, written by Z Wanell, story by Z Wanell and on, starring Lee Winnell as Adam, Carrie Ells as Lawrence, Danny Glover as David App, and Tobin Bell as Jigsaw. So, apart from Tobin Bell, who else was in the panel? Um, it was, and you just said her name, but the, the actress that ends up sort of replacing Jigsaw. Uh, um, who's in the bear, reverse bear trap in the first one that they okay. interview? No, I didn't, I didn't list that person. Lee Winnell is... Oh, okay. Um, the other dude. No, the um, it's the woman who's in the reverse bear trap. Who, in the second one, she said like she becomes like Jigsaw's apprentice. Okay. Yeah, I don't know her Do name. You know? Okay. 
Um, I can't remember the actress's name either. She was there. Okay. She didn't really give any specific insights. The question that I feel like was the most popular during any of the panels, just because it's sort of in vogue right now, is about representation, uh, female representation. And so she, that was the main question that she gets asked. And her comments were, I hate to call it standard, but they, you know, just about female empowerment. And and I feel like that is a good character that develops throughout the series. Um, that, that could be empowering. Um, she uh, is the only survivor, right? Yeah. Is, is this uh, Shawnee Smith? Yes, that's it. Plays Amanda? Yes, that's it. Okay. Yeah. Um, as far as my relationship with this franchise, I had seen the first one in college, and I saw the second one um, later in college, but I, I really didn't see it. I was kind of with a group of friends and that's the one they voted that's the movie they voted on. Mm-hmm. I want to see something else. So I, I really didn't have a lot of fun with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't don't they fall into like um, a trap of with, with like needles or something. That's what she does. She okay. fall, yeah, she has to climb into this pit. It's like a ball pit with needles. Yeah, that's the only thing I remember from, from that one. Yeah. Um, I guess the biggest difference of that one is it's a group that's in one big trap. Yeah. Um, and it still has the, you know, the twist that it's known for at the end. But yeah. Um, but I would like to... I'll, I'll rewatch it. I mean, I think overall, rewatching this movie, it gave me a little bit better appreciation for it, seeing it out of context. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because of the time, I, I also saw it while I was in college, and I just remember thinking, well... I don't know. It, it, it's maybe just going for like kind of the gore sensationalism. Like there wasn't much to the story mm-hmm. that I remembered other than the traps. Like that was my only takeaway, but watching it this time, I felt like there was more to the story. So we want to talk about production. Yeah. So production looking to see the film is timeless and the power and effectiveness of its writing, direction, acting, cinematography, special effects, iconography, and portrayal of its subject matter. I feel like the story is the weakest part. Like well, I, no. I really didn't care for the story. <clears throat> no, no, I'm not saying I'm not saying it's it's a strong story, but yeah. there's more to this story than the traps, and I've forgotten what that story is. Yeah, because it's not memorable. It's, it's like <laughs> yeah, a ripoff of five different movies. Um, yeah, the strongest part for me is, is definitely the opening sequence, mm-hmm. like until it gets to the first kind of flashback or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, the whole, you know, situation where you have yes. two two guys locked in a room. There are kind of puzzles around the room. They have to work together, and they slowly learn about one another. Um, just the the process of, of going through um, and then trying to figure out what's going on that is entertaining. Yeah, it, but that you're right. It's like the movie takes a turn once the flashbacks mm-hmm. start the the stuff that takes place in the room i think is the best part yeah. of the whole movie but you're right that's not necessarily what it's known for it's known for all those flashbacks and then like the detectives yeah uh looking into it um it seemed like they were yeah it seemed like they were going for like seven you yes. feel like that's one of the, oh, the rip-offs absolutely. um i will say though i think 
something that's notable about this movie is that like Scream, it's sort of like kind of, I don't know, re-energized horror, I feel like, in the 2000s, or it's part of that. Repopularized popularized it. Um, I don't know if it... This is what, 2004? Yeah. I don't know if it revived it so much as like this was kind of the mainstream franchise mm-hmm. that other independent horror movies were kind of working against. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. um, like the shaky edits, the loud music. Mm-hmm. It's very stylized looking back it, at it now. It is. And you, you can definitely tell that, you know, some of James Wan's like uh, style is emerging in this movie so that when we get to more his I think more polished movies like Insidious or The Conjuring they just they just work better mm-hmm. um, this feels very much like a first attempt uh, at horror uh, I think a lot of cliche, uh, they, they rely a lot on cliches mm-hmm. and storytelling I, I love Danny Glover as an actor, but his character is like a parody of a detective. Yeah, He's especially yeah. so bad at his the, job. Yeah, the second half of it, where he just goes off the mm-hmm. the deep end, it is. It's it's a parody, and you can get what he's trying to do. It's um, it's it's actually very similar to Mark Ruffalo's role in Collateral, where it it seems like he's. Michael Mann is setting up a parallel storyline with uh, a detective who's putting all the pieces together, and it seems like he's going to be mm-hmm. the uh, saving uh, grace of the uh, the main character. Like he's he's going to be what gets the main character out. But then in the middle of that movie, he dies, mm-hmm. so the character is truly alone. And you get that here, but it's it just feels very sloppy. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's you know, so many dumb decisions were made when Danny Glover was, uh, you know, tracking down Jigsaw, um, and his partner got killed. Um, you almost just don't want him to punch. It's like, you don't deserve to have a gun. You don't deserve <laughs> to, like, be successful because you're so adding the job yeah well I, th- I think that to that point he's not the only sort of like thin character i think that but aside from jigsaw himself yeah uh, none of the characters have yeah. much depth like you don't know <clears throat> i still don't quite understand the doctor character He's but in in, in terms his, of the way he reacts, yeah, it doesn't make sense. I also don't think. I mean, is he really deserving of this punishment? Because he doesn't sleep with the woman, right? I, well, I, that's it. the thing. I think it's just a personal vendetta uh, that um, that Jigsaw has against him because he was Jigsaw's doctor, and he felt felt like he wasn't getting treated as a person. <laughs> like, that's the only thing I can yeah, grab at. Yeah, but then it, it, I mean, well, we can get into Jigsaw and quality, but um, 
Yeah, it just it felt like that thing. character doesn't really work. I agree. Yeah. Um, the actor, you know, I I think he should sure. be good. Things he gets really over the top by the end, like Nicolas Cage level <laughs> over the top by the end. Um, but um, yeah, it's just the characters are flat, and unfortunately, I think the flattest person is Adam, played by Lee Whannell, who was like a co-writer of the movie, put himself in it, mm-hmm. and you know what? I haven't really seen him in much else. <laughs> um, well, it's one thing about it, I think, production-wise, is that this movie is popular. Yeah. So let me, here's some like production stats. So they made the first one, which I wrote down as Saw first sequence. Okay. <laughs> uh, they so it started in two thousand four. They made it uh, at least one of these movies came out every year since two thousand four up until two thousand nine. Yeah. I also will credit this. I think that this movie directly led to the popularization of escape rooms. Escape rooms started becoming popular in two thousand ten, mm-hmm. right as this franchise is winding down. Yeah. Um, movie was made for one point two million. In 18 days. Yeah. And then gross for this movie has been over $100 million. And then each sequel after that doubled, at least doubled its money since 2004. So it's like a sure bet that Hollywood is placing. It's like, oh, yeah, let's make another saw. People mm-hmm. come see it. But then I think it just becomes into, like, people just want to see the traps. Yeah, There's well, more thought and depth in the traps <laughs> than there is in the characters. Yeah, and, and that's always fun to see fun to see sure. like um, a person trying to solve a puzzle um, but he, here's a question for you the puzzle of game <laughs> um, I think the way I see like I think an escape room is a game and there are puzzles in the escape room that you have to solve. So you win the game by unlocking the is door and getting out. Is jigsaw puzzle a game? Is a jigsaw puzzle a game? No. Then why is he called Jigsaw? And why is his signature like carving out puzzle pieces? <laughs> of the people's... Yeah. I don't know because he thinks it's clever because he's not like using those skin pieces for anything no it's not like buffalo bill yeah it's just like his signature yeah but he he asks people would you like to play a game yeah not would you like to solve a puzzle yeah which like that would sound like wheel of fortune yeah (laughs) i'll solve (laughs) (laughs) but it just it's a really good point i mean even even just thinking about that I mean, it kind of showed me how little thought went into even the the character of Jigsaw. Sure, it's all uh, it's just all visceral is what this is going it's for. It's all just skimming along the surface. Yeah, if if you think about it for more than a minute, um, it you're to gonna fall. find huge holes, and yeah, it just all falls apart. So I not going to give it a point for production. Uh, I So I am going to give it a point for production because I feel like 
just the look of the film is something that really struck me that I didn't notice the first time that I watched it. And it reminds me of, I feel like an homage to a Jalo with the, with the gore and the stylized traps and even the coloring um, that's there. I will, I will, you know, side with you in terms of like the character development and stuff. But um, I think that the movie knew its audience in here and, and knew what it was, even if what it was was shallow. <laughs> I'm going to give you, it a point. Do you think it was so popular because it paid homage to the giallo genre? No. I think that's what people loved about it. No. Nope. They're like, oh, this is just like giallo. Nope. <laughs> but that's what I think. <laughs> okay. Okay. So even some Fair of the, point. like, like the character development and... Like, reaction, like, in Jalo, that doesn't happen either. It's about the sensationalism. Yeah, that's true. But there's just, there's a style to Jalo. Like, there's kind of more of a sleekness to Jalo. I'll give you that. This Um, has rough edges. This is is jagged, not smooth. (laughs) It's meant to be, yeah, jagged and jarring and dirty. Yeah. You know, characters digging through the toilet. Oh, yeah. um, Gross. and, And that's... Yeah. Jalo, like, everyone looks cool. <laughs> That's true. Um, Everybody in this movie looks <laughs> dirty and tired yeah. at all times. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's let's move on to monster quality. Yeah, film's monsters are frightening, clearly relate, relate to archetypal fears and have depth. So let's continue that about Jigsaw. So you feel like he doesn't have depth? No. Um, I'm trying to see if I can make an argument for his depth. And I can't. So, so he's a cancer patient. Yeah. Who is at the near the end of his life. Wants to give people a new lease on life. Yeah. And so he sees people not appreciating life the way that he does. Mm-hmm. And so he wants to put them in a life or death situation so that they appreciate the lives they have. If they survive. Yes. Doesn't matter that like they'll be traumatized for the rest of their life. And suffer from PTSD. Like the woman that, you know, had to kill the dude on the floor by like digging out of his stomach or something. Mm-hmm. Like, well, no, she is, she becomes her, his apprentice, right? That's, that's Eventually, her. but she doesn't know it at that point. It's yeah, after so, the so second this, movie is when point, that stuff starts. Yeah, like it, it really should just kind of stand on its own. So, right, right, right. So yeah, in, in that case, like if if we're looking at that woman as a character just in this movie, um, yeah, do you feel like she has a new lease on life afterwards? She looks like she's traumatized. Yeah, no, I don't, I mean, <laughs> he's not doing a good job. Yeah. But, so you feel like he's misrepresented almost like as a hero in this movie? I I think... They are attempting to paint on a justification for someone who really um, has no true justification. Yeah. Um, we're, we're like in a movie seven, right? If we think about uh, the killer yeah, in that he one, wants to shock he's also <clears throat> into leading better lives because sort of punishing them for their sin well and and the point of that is yeah like in the you have the whole car ride at the end where he's talking about you know everybody sins no one blinks an eye 
So he's going to go so extreme that it shocks people into being awake again. Whereas here, it's like, you know, first of all, these are not very public. Uh, at least in this movie, these are not like public puzzles or anything. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to even say what the public knows about it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it just... It just doesn't work as a coherent motivation. Okay, so I'll, I'll concede to you there. I mean, you make a good argument for why and there's maybe, a lack of depth. Maybe in the prequel, he becomes... Maybe we know, get more. Maybe. I doubt it, but maybe. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so then let's uh, focus on our, our final category, Scare Factor. Okay. Oh, so we're looking to see uh, that the movie... Uh, has an intense scare and then it's scary from beginning to end. Do I think it has moments, but I, I don't know if it's any. I, th I feel like just like the characters, it's superficial. I don't know that. Yeah, it feels like they're you know it's shock. gross moments that are meant to shock. Um, but I'm not invested in the characters. Um, I do kind of like that sort of nihilist bit of dramatic irony where he, uh, like his family is already safe but he kills the guy mm -hmm. anyway. Like, mm -hmm. I think there's something there, kind of like with Frank Darabont's The Mist. You know, you have, like, a character who you know, just waited a little longer. He wouldn't have done a horrible deed. But that's not, it's not scary. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I think it's, it ends up being goofy. I'm not scared of Jigsaw. When he's caught by the police, even he, like, he has an escape plan for, like, the Mm -hmm. You have to like, you must solve the puzzle. There is a man with a drill. It's just like, it's so ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm not giving a point. Yeah, I think one thing, and it, it's unclear in this movie whether, like you said, it's it's like copying or it's an homage. I feel like this gave uh, like modern viewers in the 2000s, this, is the, this became the like the call that comes from inside the house, right? With the ending. Um, the killer's been there all along, yeah. right? Or the, the solution was right in front of you. Um, I think that that became then something that audiences look for uh, in a movie that's supposed to have, uh, mm -hmm. you know, a twist. Yeah. Like, oh, it could have been that guy all along. Um, and so I will give it credit for that. But in terms of scary, no. Is it entertaining? I think it can be a fun movie. It's definitely, it's like, it's popcorn to me. Like, yeah, um, it's not something that I'm going to, I, I wouldn't Look for death. It. No, but I think if people if somebody's if somebody's a horror fan, then they've more than likely already seen Saw. Well, and I think it's the kind of movie where, like, if you're not a horror fan, you've probably seen Saw, and, you're and that's maybe what you, think, it, what and that's what you think what sure. horror is. Sure, is. So, like, my goal for the uninitiated would be like, say, hey, there's a lot more to this genre than Saw. Yeah, that's good. That's a really good point. Yeah. So, I don't think in the diaper, but. I don't think in the canon either. No. Cool. Okay, so our next movie is Scream 2. This was released in 1997, directed by Wes Craven, written by Kevin Williamson, starring Neve Campbell as Sidney, Courtney Cox as Gail Weathers, uh, David Arquette as Dewey, uh, Laurie Metcalf as Debbie, Timothy Oliphant as Mickey, Jamie Kennedy as Randy, uh, Jada Pinkus Smith, as Maureen, Omar Epps, as Phil, and just like 
a whole bunch of night. It's like a who's who of the 1990s. <laughs> it is, it's a star-studded we cast. We have Buffy. We have Pacey. We have <laughs> 90210. We have a Wilson brother. They're, yeah. I mean, it's delightful. Uh, Jer- uh, it's Jerry O'Connell, right? Yeah. Is that his name? I, I just, from that time, all he makes me think of is Sliders. Did you ever watch Sliders on sci-fi? I did. You know, this is the movie that, for me, like cemented my confusion between Jerry O'Connell and Lee Schreiber. <laughs> I because even like yeah. watching this movie now, it's not like they look a ton alike, but I I seriously think ever since watching this movie, I've always been confused about which one is which. I can see that. I can see yeah. that. It's like the he's like the everyman but the preppy everyman. Mm-hmm. That's just and I mean, I, th- I, I I like Lee Schreiber in this movie a lot. And mm-hmm. I think, in general, he's a pretty solid actor. Mm-hmm. Jerry O'Connell hasn't seemed to have been doing much lately. Um, and he always kind of seemed to play more of, like, the jerk, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. in, in roles. But, yeah, I've always confused their names. <laughs> but, anyway, so, um, speaking of, you know, the cast and, and everything... Um, <laughs> Scream was another panel that mm-hmm. was at Horror Hound. So why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, and that was – it was by far, I think, the most popular panel at Horror Hound this year, yeah. uh, even compared to Saw. Um, I think that's because they had most of the main cast. So you had Matthew Lillard, um, Jamie Kennedy, David Arquette, Nev Campbell. Um, uh, I can't Pretty remember. Pretty much everyone but Courtney Cox, right? Yeah, which I guess probably maybe the divorce with <laughs> – David Arquette maybe is some... Sure. I mean, also, you know, she doesn't seem like she needs to go to conventions. She's rolling in that friend's money. Yeah, yeah. Um, who else? Oh, she's the actress. So she's in the first one. I can't remember her name. Oh, I'd have to look it up. Um, but she didn't. She didn't oh, say much anyway. Oh, Rose McGowan? Rose McGowan yeah. was there. Uh, but there, it's another actress. I can't oh, okay. uh, remember. But... Um, but yeah, the, it was a really entertaining panel uh, because it, it really did. It was what you would hope for, right? It's like, oh, the gang's been getting back together. And so they were um, kind of commenting back and forth to each other. At one point, um, Matthew Lillard revealed that um, part of his midlife crisis was he, he and four friends started a D&D company uh, where they gave him, create materials for it. And they have like a, let's say a weekly campaign yeah. Where he and his 50-year-old friends play D&D. And That's then awesome. David Arquette stood up and made fun of him <laughs> in front of it. But he definitely didn't know his audience because, yeah. <laughs> of course, at Horror Hound, there are lots of D&D fans. Yeah. They came to his defense. So it was fun. I think maybe one of the uh, more interesting reveals. I mean, they talked a lot about Wes Craven as, as a director uh-huh. um, and how uh, friendly and how the atmosphere of the set um was family oriented i think one of the quotes uh, that i tweeted out was um that uh he Wes craven i guess said to uh david arquette that just because or to matthew lillard that just because it's a horror movie doesn't mean the experience on set needs to be horrific oh yeah um you know they were really focused on of course like the meta commentary of it mm-hmm. um another thing that stood out was the they the one of the questions that came up was uh 
you know, which which kill scene was your favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, how did you react to finding out that your character died? Because it was one of those movies that, you know, they would give them um, kind of a page of the script at a time. And, yeah. you know, they didn't find out until later in the filming that they were going to die. So, like, Jamie Kennedy didn't know about it. Or... Well, he uh, lived. Not Jamie Kennedy. Sorry, David Arquette. Okay. Um, it didn't know about uh, the scene in Scream 2 until later. And I think that was probably the funniest part, too, because he said that also happened in Scream 1 is that um, he thought he was going to die at Scream 1. And then Wes Craven added on last minute and said, no, I want them to roll you out in mm-hmm. a gurney and kind of give the wave at the end. But he still left it ambiguous for David Arquette said, I don't know, you could live or die. Mm-hmm. And he didn't even know he was coming back to Scream 2 till later. <laughs> that's funny. But that's how it ends for him in this one. Right. right? He's right. in the gurney. Yep. Yeah. And so that's just kind of like a running gag. Uh, when it came to Matthew Lillard to answer that question about his character's death, he answered and said, I don't even think my character's dead. <laughs> and he said that in one of the shootings, I think in Scream 2, and I couldn't find it, he played a prank on the cast and I think walks through a party scene like oh, while really? they're at the frat, I think is where it's supposed to happen. Mm. I need to look more into it to see if somebody's like screenshot it or something. Yeah. He says that uh, he's there, and I don't think it's supposed to be any sort of, like, commentary. Yeah. I think he's just doing a prank. But, yeah, according to him, his character's still alive (laughs) (laughs) somewhere. Um, So, yeah, so it was just – it was a really entertaining panel. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was able to get a couple of clips uh, and tweet uh, some of the more memorable moments. That's cool. And that's at? At the the underscore terror underscore test. Yes. So check those out. So do you think that, I mean, the focus seemed to be on the original screen. On the first one, yeah. So do you think that um, the, I don't know, the actors felt as good about the sequels, the ones that were in it? Mm. Or did that it just not come up? They didn't come up as much. I'm trying to think if there's anything specific they said about the sequels. Because the majority of the people there were in the original cast. So, like, um, well, up until, like, Scream 2, you know, when they started to die off. But, yeah, they didn't really say anything much about the sequels. A lot of conversations focused on the first movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the impact that it had on horror at the time. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, right... Isn't that something we talked about in the Scream 1 episode is that it really did revitalize the genre in a lot of ways. Uh, And I feel like they just... (laughs) It's where I feel like from Scream 1 where maybe the the meta aspect of it was a little bit more nuanced. Not like... No, it was was there. I mean, yeah. Jimmy Kennedy's character is all about it. I feel like Scream 2, they just... (laughs) <laughs> blow it up <laughs> yes and actually this is why i think scream 2 is the quintessential 90s slasher movie sure because every every slasher movie post scream tried to copy scream success mm-hmm. including scream 2 mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. i think it's it did it successfully mm-hmm. but it is very much um, just trying to 
capture that lightning in a bottle again mm -hmm. and it pushes things further um and so i think if you had to like you know say okay if, if you want to understand 90s teen slashers watch scream 2 mm -hmm. even if you know you don't need to watch scream 1 necessarily to prepare for it, it just that is everything that that the 90s was to me mm -hmm. it is it, it and it it, we have all of the tropes from the 80s leading up to it. Mm -hmm. And then not only like the appearance of those tropes, but then they also try to put a twist, mm -hmm. uh, something new. I, there are so many jump scares in this movie. Yeah. But but I I feel like <laughs> it's, it's part of that meta mm -hmm. aspect, right? So they're trying to, I don't know critique that part of those of those movies it's not always supposed to be a meaningful yeah and sort of celebrate it in a way too yeah i i have to say this is um one of the very few slasher movies where i never really found myself bored um mm, mm -hmm. usually kind of in the middle or kind of near the end i sort of drift off when uh, when the slasher movie's playing, but this one I was pretty engaged the entire time, Do you... and I think it's in part because of I th I think just the quality of the script and the actors and everything, but also that like meta ness to it. Mm -hmm. Like even the reveals of the killers were just very clever in what they're trying to say. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I was going to ask too, do you think that that is also in part like not being bored because they really do try to take a next, to show the next step for each of the characters. And so you've already kind of built up that relationship mm -hmm. um, for that cast. Yeah, it was. So like you want to see what happens to Dewey. You want to see what happens right. to Gail. You want to see what like happens to. Kind of the, the most nostalgic part for me is remembering just how iconic these characters have become. Mm -hmm. Yeah, where uh, the Gale Weathers and Dewey relationship is like, you know, they're, they're the couple. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, that just all of those, um, all, all of that just really stuck with me as a kid mm -hmm. when I watched it, because I, I really liked it as a kid. Too. Yeah, and I like how it's not, it, that relationship in particular is not just immediate like he has to like she or she it's has not, to earn it <laughs> it's not easy yeah yeah and where they yeah. could have just said oh oh i haven't seen you in a long time we're in love now yeah it it, it is where I, I like where she has to like work for it mm -hmm. because again it's just a, it's another subversion mm -hmm. of uh the trope and yeah um like uh sydney and um i don't think i wrote down leaf schreiber's character but that relationship was also really interesting Mm -hmm. Because, you know, it's written in a way that, from Sydney's perspective, his character's creepy. Cotton, that's his name. Mm -hmm. um, Cotton is creepy, but if you read those scenes from his perspective, like, everything he says is pretty understandable. Mm -hmm. Right? Up until, like... I don't know when he confronts her on the stairway. <laughs> that part <laughs> Just before gets, he gets out arrested. Of hand. Yeah. Um, but. 
it it never felt like he was the real murderer. Right. 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 Because I, I just, I felt like he was able to convey like a sense of sympathy for this character who like in, in any other movie, he would be obnoxious yeah. or he would be like too over the top. Yeah. Um, but here I think that he, he was able to like balance it in a way that it just kind of felt a little more. So he's not just the realistic. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I, I appreciated that. That was an, another relationship that I really liked. Yeah. And how like Gail is just like a median attention seeker. Mm-hmm. She's, she's using him for her own, mm-hmm. using uh, a, a Sydney to. Yeah. And how like um, Jerry O'Connell is, you know, he's playing a type, but his actions go against the type when you see that like he is genuine in mm-hmm. what and how he feels about Sydney. Right. Right. Cause we're going to, he's another one that we're supposed to mistrust. Right. We're supposed to expect him to be the killer based on our knowledge of scream one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think, I think that's, a, that's the thing overall in the writing is that it's fun for me about scream two is that um, it's a next step mm-hmm. for every character. Yeah. And I appreciate that because that's what you want in a sequel, right? It is. And it, and it just, it's so rare mm-hmm. in horror that we get sequels like that. Because yeah, and they have usually, that whole conversation in the film class yeah. about sequels. Yeah. <laughs> Which is funny and cutesy and kind of what you would expect in a screen sequel. Sure. But yeah, I think you're right in that what elevates this sequel is that it really does move the characters forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of, I mean, we're on the topic of production. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm willing. To give I, it a point. I want to give it a point for sure. Uh, it hits all the, the marks for me. I mean, it just is a, con- a true continuation of the first, mm-hmm. which we want. All right. So what about monster quality? Um, Who are our monsters? Well, um, we have mama. <laughs> <laughs> we have a, a, a lot of the, the like meta discussion, you know, how much do movies influence violence? Yeah. Um, and so that idea of, of media driving violence um, is like a you know contributing factor. You also have um, yeah the mothers. I, I love how the two killers kind of have different motivations mm-hmm. um, because Timothy Oliphant he says you know this thing about how media you know causes people to kill and then when um jackie for Mozan shows up and like kills him yeah she says no it's about like my mother's it's about this it's about mother's rage mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and revenge um and so it, it even plays with the idea of a killer having a, a kind of motivation mm-hmm. um because everyone, or, or just you have both of the killers saying like, well, this is why we're doing it. No, this is why we're doing <laughs> it. And then even Cotton, when he's playing the hero and he has like the gun aimed at um, Mrs. Uh, or Debbie Salt, um, he is also like negotiating like his branding. Like, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, well, you're going to do an interview or what? And mm-hmm. so... 
everybody is just so focused on their image. Mm-hmm. Which makes um, sense because they're all playing a type yeah. <laughs> in a horror movie. Yeah. yeah. And so that, you know, it's it's the motivation for killing. It's also the motivation for, you know, why Sydney is saved and, you know, why Sydney herself, you know, is a badass. So, yeah, I think um, the archetypes and tropes and images of these characters are um i I think contribute to monster quality Mm -hmm. yeah uh, like you uh, like you pointed out that archetypal fear that um i guess it'd even be a more modern fear the idea of media inciting violence is the one that strikes for me in discussion today sure um i i think that the the beginning opening scene is so (laughs) it is so insane yeah uh, when you see the people um, like rooting along for the killer, I've never I've never been to a movie that's like that before a horror movie. I mean, it's definitely like a you know it's definitely hyperbole on what. But 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 we have seen people or talked about even before people rooting on Jason or yeah. um, rooting for Texas uh, uh, for Leatherface and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, it's definitely a thing. But I've never seen it to that extent where people are like dressed up. Yeah. <laughs> No movie theater now is going to like no. distribute masks. No, or and, weapons and weapons. Yeah. yeah. Well, that that's the thing. It made me think of the uh, the shooting that occurred uh, in the Dark Knight. Yeah. Um, I I had like not made the connection between those two, obviously because it was earlier. Yeah, and it just it it seems like a, an unfortunate reflection of the times that we live in. That mm-hmm. like the way that they approach the topic of, of media inciting violence can just be more fun, mm, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, because the violence that we see today is just so shocking and so awful. Like you, you just can't imagine a film taking that same approach. Yeah. To like, to that, yeah, to that extreme because it, it's to the point of being kind of comical. I don't yeah. think anybody would do that today. Yeah. Now, I'm not not to say that like it hasn't been touched upon. I mean, the Purge movies are allegedly about gun control. That's what Jason Blumhouse or Jason Blum said. Um, so you know, there's a little bit of commentary there, but you kind of have to like dig deep. Oh, but yeah, it's totally implicit. Yeah, Um, but you um, you also have a a really great movie like um, Assassination or Assassination Nation or you know one of those. um, That's a very modern movie, and it's about um, like teen violence, Mm -hmm. and it's it's really thoughtful and interesting, but just completely different. The camp is not there like it is Mm. here yeah i think another monster that comes to mind in the section two we've kind of touched on before but i think that this movie does really well is the idea of you never know what another person is capable of anybody can wear that mask anybody like our killers like you said at the scene at the end anybody can have a motive yeah um which is which is pretty frightening yeah seems like a thin line Mm mm-hmm 
And you also get, um, I, I think maybe this series does it best with the exception of the last Halloween movie. Like you get the idea of like um, trauma and how trauma can, or how traumatic events can affect people. You know, Sydney has that scene when she's in a rehearsal and she uh, gets really upset because of all like the crazy imagery and stuff. Um, but she also is able to like, like part of the story that Scream is telling is like her ability to like move past her trauma, mm -hmm. which is really interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, and something that I don't think any horror movie or any slasher movies before mm -hmm. had even attempted to do that because they always just like kill the final girl from the last movie, like in the first 10 minutes, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. rarely does she get to be the final girl again. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So I, I, I won't even a point. Yeah, I do too. There's like, there's a lot of depth there. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, finally for scare factor, is the the where it runs into an issue with me is that is the intent to scare. I don't think the intent of this one is to scare, or rather, I don't think that it's its only objective, or even its primary objective, because the scare part I think just feeds into the meta quality of it. Like it, it's scaring to entertain, mm -hmm. but not to truly scare. I think it is more concerned about the commentary than it is about the scares. Yeah, I think so too. I, I would say that the first scream is perhaps a little scarier. Yeah, because um, I'm thinking of even of that opening scene mm -hmm. uh, with the babysitter in the house, there are parts of that that are really frightening. Mm -hmm. There's gore like when the boyfriend's like uh, tied up and then mm -hmm. he's disemboweled. Yeah. We don't have anything quite like that in this one. Yeah. I mean, can you think of any any of the kill scenes that are that? I mean, I can only think of like Dewey pressed up against the glass in the sound booth. Um, I mean, the most memorable kills for me are, are or the, the it's the opening. Yeah, the ear. Yeah, the ear thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but again, that's just funny. At one is. point, I mean, have you seen Scary Movie? Yeah. Do you know the scene where they like that they parody yeah. that? Yes. Yes. Like, so that, that's what I was thinking. So, like, there's no way that's scary for me. Yeah. Um, which just goes to show, like, Scary Movie has nothing to say. Like, it's just parody. Oh, yeah. Whereas this it's is, just, like... Yes, just a spoof. Whereas, yeah, this is, is satirical. Yeah. Which um, just makes it a thousand times better. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but as far as scare factor, I, I can't give it a point. It it wasn't scary. Yeah. It was highly entertaining, but um, even if its intent was to scare, it was secondary to the entertainment value. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it deserves uh, honorable mention for sure, but I don't, mm -hmm. <clears throat> I think as, I don't even know. Like, yeah, scare factor, I wouldn't... It doesn't contend with the, the first one. Yeah, I would say... Um, honorable mention alone for for the how successful of a sequel it, it really is mm -hmm. um i think it's it's really notable for that um so so yeah honorable mention for scream 2 cool cool well um so that is our friday the 13th franchise um 
films. Uh, <laughs> franchise Friday. Yeah, Franchise Friday. Um, so the next Friday the 13th will come out with another episode of two random franchise yep, films. We draw it we'll out of the hat. Draw from a hat. Because we've um, already done all the Friday the 13th and right. all the nightmares. No, we haven't done all the nightmares. No, not all. No, that's part of our franchise list. Yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, there's still plenty of franchises that we haven't completed yet, like Nightmare on Elm Street or Hellraiser. Hellraiser. Um, but we also have some more, like Saw and Scream. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we'll be doing um, Franchise Fridays for. for quite a while and i don't know that we need to look at the calendar it's gonna be a while before another friday the 13th isn't it i think there's gonna be another one this year still this but year then, okay. but then after that it's gonna be quite a while a while hmm. yeah. all so, right yeah so that means that what to watch next next time um we're resuming our decades of death and we are actually in the current decade we've made it we're here we're back in the present so <laughs> Um, we're starting with a couple of recent remakes. So we're going to be doing the 2012 Maniac remake with Elijah Wood. Um, you can find our discussion of the original one in the 70s, no, 80s episodes. Mm -hmm. And then also um, the remake of Suspiria that came out last year. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, yeah, remakes will be our theme for our first episode in the 2010s. Woohoo! Yep, and you can check out more episodes at our website, theterrortest.com. And also please follow and subscribe at the underscore terror underscore test. Pencils down, the terror test is over. <laughs>